0: Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Dead Cool Show, where we spend about an hour looking at and listening to people who died at some point in history this week. This is Roland Leonard and we start this week's show with Helen O'Connell.
1: Just like
0: So there we have it. That was Moondog and welcome back to the show, uh, to all the regular listeners of episode 3. But I have been getting some lovely feedback from some people who have been listening to it, some people who are friends, some people who are just vaguely aware of me and it's great to get feedback from both. Um, And this show's format isn't locked in yet. I think it's always going to be Slightly tweaking, but I'm really happy personally with where I'm getting with it. Um, so let me share with you what I've put together for this week. So we started there with Helen O'Connell. Now She's possibly, probably best known as the voice of uh, How Do You Like Your Eggs in the Morning, that song. But she was considered like the quintessential uh, female big band singer of the 1940s now she was in a load of songs but the reason I picked that one is because uh, she's credited as the writer and composer of that song now the 30s and 40s and even the 20s before that were a very murky time where there was a lot of fudging of who really wrote stuff and who wrote stuff and sold it to other people and all that kind of stuff particularly for people who weren't lucky to be in the you know the, at the top table in the first place so this is a song she is credited with writing and composing so uh, I really wanted to um, highlight that one I noticed that she was the person who sang the national anthem before Super Bowl 15 which was in 1981 and I was reading about it that that particular Super Bowl had a, quote, um, a patriotic fervour because it was about five or six days after uh, the Iranian hostage crisis ended. Now, possibly best known on our radar in recent years from the film Argo, even though that centres around a bit that isn't, the time it ended as such, but you can get the the sense of um, what the fervor would be about. But for an American football Super Bowl to have one of them noted for its particular fervor, it must be in a pretty, pretty intense. Um, she was also considered by the uh, Associated Press in her obituary as the uh, darling of GIs during World War II, which is something that brings me to the point that. I've been really conscious that I don't want to just be highlighting people from the last 70 years, and I'm also very conscious that I want to um, not just be playing men, he said, with a playlist that's mostly men today. But when you go through the history books, the the, the main ones, most of the women that are highlighted in you know, from 1500s to 1900s are generally monarchs or w- wives of. And I, as I hopefully get more patrons and time to work in this, I, I pledge I will dig deeper and I'll find different ways of, of talking about it because I don't want to talk just about war people and people who own too much land. Anyway, So uh, the second song there was uh, by Moondog, who was an incredibly um, visually memorable person. He was known for wearing like a a Viking's helmet and stuff. Um, And he also did one of the things I love, which is he invented his own instruments. So three of the ones in particular was a a triangular shaped harp known as a OO. Uh, another which he named the Uyatsu. And then a triangular stringed instrument that he called the Hus. After the Norwegian word for for house. Now, he was blinded at the age of 16. So, um, I believe his sister had to read to him. Well, chose to read to him. Um, and he got a load of his education from that, you know, not just musical, compositional stuff but philosophy and it's not for me to say if that's what opened his mind to a huger level than a lot of his contemporaries but a load of huge names of we'll say modern compositional music like Steve Reich and Philip Glass have named him as an influencer and if anything this is to encourage you to go and Do your own research. Uh, Because none of these episodes are about a particular person. But when you dig into it, he wasn't this just this fella, you know, in in a dark um, studio apartment in whatever, Soho, Greenwich Village. Um, But he, like, worked around, maybe not officially collaborated, but he, like, he met... Uh, Leonard Bernstein, who's in a film. That, well, he's not. There's a film about him out now, and Tuscany, but also jazz performers like um, Charlie Parker and Benny Goodman, and in fact, his 1969 album Moon Dog had one track called Good for Goody, as a nod to Goodman, and then Bird's Lament, which is what we just heard, which was a sort of a nod to Charlie Parker, and eagle-eared listeners might have noticed that that song is what was sampled as sort of the main part of Mr. Scruff's Get A Move On track and Mr. Scruff is coming to Cork here in what about seven, eight weeks for the jazz festival he's playing on the Saturday night in um, Cypress Avenue with Luke Unabomber Unabom? I'm going to say Unabom I will fix that in the edit There's a few people that have been sampled uh, throughout our show today. Uh, I think we will be covering two of the probably the the biggest selling artists of all time. Like we're talking, I'm going to guess two of the top 30 selling artists of all time. I'm open for a correction. Send in your letters. We're also going to be looking at a a few people who would be inarguably some of the foundations of incredible music that you've heard over the years and then of course some interesting people that we should know more about I've done my notes and there's a total of 29 people that I have earmarked to mention today and we have a very good average age of death of 65 which I think while still young is, is a good innings uh, as an average um, how many other podcasts have an average age of death in a spreadsheet. Anyway, right, as I was saying, one of the biggest selling artists of all time, uh, Johnny Cash. He died on the 12th of September, um, 20 years ago, actually. Um, Okay, I forgot to do those basic maths after my fancy spreadsheet action. There's so many songs, there's so many eras of Johnny Cash. Um, I was immediately drawn playing heart because one of my many other things I do is I I run a music video uh, program and hopefully a film festival as of next year called Cinecule and if you become one of my Patreons if you support me for one thing you're supporting me for all the things Uh, almost like the Musketeers and their catchphrase Um, oh yeah TBRL Things by Ronan Leonard, TBRL. If you look me up on Patreon or Substack, it's Friday. I'm putting this up this afternoon. Hopefully by this evening, there'll be more and more content up there. I'm not charging anybody for anything yet, but these are. I have to get the word out there. So TBRL. But anyway, back to Johnny Cash. So hurt, which is, oh, I'd love to do a podcast just about that video because Johnny Cash had a life that was so documented and that music video, if you haven't seen it, pause the show and listen to it now, featured so much archival footage of him in various guises and it was shot in the House of Cash, which was a museum full of his and his wife, June Carter Cash's, well, their memorabilia was like a folk history of a certain era of America. And that house burnt down, I think, seven or eight years after they made the video. He said, checking, uh, 2007, it was shot, burnt down. So, yeah, about 10, 10 years after the Hurt video was made. So the fact that that video also documented a thing that's also gone. Brilliant and uh, even Trent Reznor said that as far as he's concerned the song isn't mine anymore, which is in many ways the the aim of any songwriter as long as you keep the publishing but I've decided to play one piece at a time, which you know, it's more of his throwaway funny songs but it resonated with loads of people over the years, particularly little old me, because it's Genuinely the first song I remember. Uh, So I'm going to dedicate it to my dad because he used to tell us the story of One Piece of a Time as a story. And I'm sure I heard the song verbally (laughs) many times before I heard the song. You look, Unreliable Witness is a 43-year-old man talking about being six. But this is also from a live version from one of his TV shows, because you can obviously hear the audience going with it, but the incredible musical performance and just one take. And I'll tell you what, there's no one takes going on in this uh, studio. But we're going to follow it with two other huge, um, what would you call it, parts of the Americana bluegrass Rushmore, if you want the Mount Rushmore of bluegrass. We'll be following it with uh, Bill Monroe who died in 1996 on the 9th of September. And he's considered the father of bluegrass in the sense that the genre comes from the name of his band, the Bluegrass Boys. Um, It was blues and jazz. It had that lonesome sound. That was his own description of the genre. And then we're following that with a guy called Clarence Gate Mouth Brown, who I'll talk a little bit more about him later, but he was an incredible multi-instrumentalist, but he was considered one of the most influential exponents of the blues fiddle. So have a listen to that. So Johnny Cash, Bill Monroe, Clarence Gatemouth, Brown.
2: Well, when I was a young man, I worked in an automobile factory in Michigan, and I didn't ever do this, but even back then I... Thought about it and we talked about it from time to time. Well, I left Kentucky back in '49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry. Always wanted me one that was long and black. One day I devised myself a plan that should be the envy of most any man. I'd sneak it out of there in a lunchbox in my hand. Now getting caught meant getting fired, but I figured to have it all by the time I retired. Have me a car worth at least a hundred grand. I'd get it one piece at a time, and it wouldn't cost me a dime. You'll know it's me when I come through your town. Gonna ride around in style, gonna drive everybody wild Cause I have the only one there is around Well, the very next day when I checked in with my big lunchbox and help from my friends, I left that day with a lunchbox full of gears. I never considered myself a thief, but GM wouldn't miss just one little piece, especially if I strung it out over several years. Well, the first day, I got me a fuel pump. The next day, I got me an engine and a trunk. Then I got me a transmission and all the chrome. The little things I could get in my big lunch box, like nuts and bolts and all four shocks, the big stuff I snuck out in my buddy's mobile home. Well, up to now, my plan went all right till we tried to put it all together one night. And that's when I noticed that something was definitely wrong the transmission was a 53 and the motor turned out to be a 73 when we tried to put in the bolts, all the holes were gone so we drilled it out so that it would fit and with a little bit of help from an adapter kit had that engine running just like a song the headlights was another sight we had two on the left and one on the right but when i pulled out the switch all three of them come on The back end looked kind of funny, too, but we put it together, and when we got through, that's when I noticed that we only had one tail fin. About that time, my wife walked out, and I could see in her eyes that she had her doubts, but she opened the door and said, Honey, take me for a spin. So we went uptown just to get the tags, and I headed her right on down Main Track. You could hear everybody laughing for blocks around but up there at the courthouse they didn't laugh cause to type it up it took the whole staff and when they got through the title weighed 60 pounds I got it one piece at a time and it didn't cost me a dime you'll know it's me when I come through your town I'm gonna ride around in style gonna drive everybody wild cause I have the only one there is around I got it one of the time and it didn't cost me a dime you'll know it's me when i come through your town gonna ride around in style gonna drive everybody wild cause i have the only one there is around oh yeah red rider this is the cotton mouth and the psycho billy cadillac come on Of this machine there, Red Rider. You might say I just went up to the factory there and picked it up. It's cheaper that way. 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, automobile. It's a 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, 70,
0: Thanks there, Clarence. So, as we covered before, uh, at the start we had Johnny Cash and then we had Bill Monroe with Put My Little Shoes Away. And there we just had Clarence Gate Mouth uh, Brown with Just Before Dawn. Apparently he got his nickname from a teacher who said he had a voice like a gate, which I can only assume was an English teacher with that level of... Um, Oh, was it a simile was it a metaphor write in there we go that's that's the way to get my social media going was it a metaphor what was it a simile now what i love about clarence was so he was okay what i love isn't that he died in 2005 on the 10th of september but that's just something to be aware of but i read that he spent his career f- fighting purism by mixing the traditional blues with stuff like country, jazz, Cajun, rhythm and blues. Now, I can only imagine that an African-American man born in uh, the 1920s had enough to be fighting than purism in the blues, but I admire it. So Frank Zappa, who we mentioned last week in relation to the producer Tom Wilson, uh identified him as one of the most important influences on his guitar playing. Uh, Brown himself was a, a massive multi-instrumentalist. Look, I think you'll find pretty much any very talented musician can play several instruments, but we've a few people today who were named as people who were multi-instrumentalists who could play every instrument in their band. For instance, Brown played guitar, mandolin, harmonica, drums and of course the the blues fiddle that we just heard there but here's an interesting fact Um, Brown, along with his manager at the time, Jim Halsey in 1979 did a 44 concert tour of the Soviet Union and it was the first time the Soviet Union made a contract with a private citizen of the US before everything used to go through um, I think it was the cultural department or something. So there we go. Look, these tiny, tiny things in history from mighty acorns go. Well, that's neither a uh, well-presented simile or metaphor. But there we go. And um, you always got to love a hustler. And apparently his career took a massive step up when he went to see T-Bone Walker in 1947 so he would have been maybe early 20s then and T-Bone Walker got sick so I don't know if that meant he had to go off the stage or whatever and uh, Brown just got up took his guitar started playing to the audience there we go now what does every guitar player particularly an electric guitar player need guitar strings so happy death day to uh, Ernie Ball 2004 he died uh, on the 9th of September so Ernie Ball is well, an entrepreneur and musician and he's the guy who um, developed Ernie Ball guitar strings now, apparently first he approached Fender about the the G string he wanted to um, let me get this right He, while at the time the standard of the strings were to be uh, wound he was suggesting that um, they could make a lighter gauge on the G-string. Mm-hmm. But Fender turned them down. So he was like, "Right, well, okay, I'll have to get someone else to custom make them for me. Sold them in a shop. And then he had another idea for um, what's known as slinky strings. If, if you know, you know. Um, and he went to Gibson with those. And Gibson said, no. So he started that and then he started mail orders and then other stores started buying them off him. And by 1967 he was running an entire um string business. Now, just two interesting connections to Ernie Ball. You might have heard the song When Irish Eyes Are Smiling. His grandfather wrote that. And then the packaging of Ernie Ball strings, they're very distinctive. In my, in my mind, they're always kind of green and neon yellow. But obviously, the color changes, but the logo remains the same. I might sell that to Led Zeppelin. Anyway, um, Raleigh Crump designed his logo. And he his main job was designing f- Disneyland. So if you have ever been there... Uh, The Haunted Mansion is considered his sort of masterpiece. He was also an animator in other Disney films and stuff, but he was one of their best-known imagineers as opposed to animators. Now, we don't measure the quality of anyone's outputs by their awards, and particularly with actors, but it is one metric of note. Now, we have two or three different actors I want to mention today. So, one would be Jane Wyman, who died on the 10th of September, 2007. Now, a few things... Well, she was uh, the first wife of Ronald Reagan, and she received four Academy Award nominations. And... Some of you who are vaguely my age might remember Falcon Crest, but she was the villainous matriarch, Angela Channing. In 1941, she set the then record for the longest string kiss in cinema history, uh, which is three minutes and five seconds long. And that's shorter than some of the songs we're going to play today. That was shorter than... um, than what was it called Clarence there yeah Clarence Gatemouth so that in song if you want to wind back was shorter than the longest Green Kiss she also was the first person in the sound era to win an Oscar without speaking a line of dialogue so I think Ryan's Daughter and The Piano I've had it since and I'm sure there's other ones where there's no dialogue But she was the first um, in a film called um, Johnny Belinda. And she also, her last appearance was on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman as Dr. Quinn's mother and modern music fans who might be a fan of Radiohead who will hopefully not feature on this particular podcast for many, many decades. But their real breakthrough album, OK Computer, was famously recorded in Jane Seymour's house because she was off recording Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. So there we go. But so that was uh, Jane Wyman. But I want to talk now about two actors who were both connected to Hitchcock in different ways so Raymond Burr who obviously is best known for um, Perry Mason nine seasons of being Perry Mason as well as 26 Perry Mason TV movies and allegedly the Perry Mason character never lost a case so Jesus I'd say by movie 24 I'd say the the twist at the end wasn't too surprising, but he was also um, what's his name Ironside, and I was reading, and I I was okay. I was reading a reference to the article. I didn't get a time to read the whole reference, but the Atlantic in two thousand and fourteen did a a real forensic look at all the subcategories for that are um, created by Netflix users, where they were cross referencing. And they were called personalized genres or micro-genres. And Raymond Burr was considered the favourite actor of Netflix users because he had the greatest number of dedicated micro-genres. Do what you want with that information. But he was also the suspected murderer in Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window film in 1954. And That brings us to the other Hitchcock film, Psycho. Uh, Norman Bates was played by Anthony Perkins, who died in 1992 on the 9th of September. Raymond Burr actually died the following year on the 9th of September 1993. But um, Anthony Perkins was Norman Bates, one of the most famous horror thriller characters of all time. But one thing that stood out about boatmen is they were both uh, gay men that had to live uh, um, in, I suppose. I was going to say not out, but they were just in. Uh, I know this is kind of clumsy language to people who have a much more, uh, we'll say nu- nuanced or insightful take on these things, but I'm just using as as broad terms. They couldn't come out to the public They both had companions who weren't their wives. um, And it's just, it's always good. I know this show is morbid from the outset and I'm celebrating lives, but it's always good to just reflect on change and the small incremental things individuals did to get to where we are now. But um, Anthony Perkins his second wife remained married to him until uh, her death, which, no, sorry, she was married to him until his death. Um, But one day after, or sorry, one day before the anniversary of his death was, um, sorry, I made a mess of his death. He died on the 12th of September. Apologies. Um, One day before that, on the ninth anniversary, was September 11th, 2001, which obviously, to people in the Western world, that's an incredibly powerful, memorable day. But she was actually on one of those flights. uh, um, Perkins' widow, who was called Berenson. And I don't have her first name, and I apologise. So she was 53 when she passed away, and obviously she was one of uh, 2,999, six people who died on that day. Which brings us to think of New York and we're going to have a look now at some sons of New York. 12th of September, 2008, David Foster Wallace passed away, best known for the novel Infinite Jest. He was like an incredibly innovative writer, very influential, big use of... Um, you know, irony, cleverness, all these things that are so uh, prevalent now. But I've been reading a lot of the work of Con Hoolahan recently, the Irish writer, and I'm going to definitely do a special on just him. And he, in 1988, was writing about the importance that you need, say you don't need, <clears throat> but it certainly helps, that if you're going to be lead a movement of something, you really need to know your onions. So David Foster Wallace didn't just start writing in a vacuum. He was incredibly learned. He became a professor, definitely a lecturer, maybe a professor as well. So he was also renowned as an essay writer. So some of the things he wrote about David Lynch uh, for Premier magazine, he wrote... But the movie special effects industry for Waterstones magazine, the Maine Lobster Festival for Gourmet magazine, and tennis, the US Open for a Tennis magazine. And for Rolling Stone, he wrote two huge, hugely regarded essays. One was covering uh, John McCain's presidential campaign in the year 2000. And also, then he wrote one about the effects of September's 11th attack the attacks in the Midwest of the States. So I'll be posting a link to all that on my socials. Um, So that's David Foster Wallace. He died 2008. Um, I was giving causes of death and I was talking with someone and I still can't decide and I'd love your feedback that maybe we shouldn't be always talking about how they died or why they died, or what caused their death. Because, once again, that's not really celebrating their life. So I think over the next few episodes, I'm going to vacillate between the two until I finally find a consensus. Another son of New York, and I would estimate, probably met David Foster Wallace several occasions, because they would have been uh, running mates, was Jim Carroll, who died in 2009. And we're going to be playing his best-known song, which is... People Who Died um, and it featured on the soundtrack of the Basketball Diaries, the Leonardo DiCaprio film, which was based on his own work called The Basketball Diaries, which was published in 1978. Uh, Incredibly interesting man, very storied. Um, He had um, a lot of trauma in his life. But he made incredible work as well and I don't know wh- where the balance is on that but this is People Who Died by the Jim Carroll Band and we'll follow it with another incredibly famous New York musician Clue He was
3: 12 years old he Fell from the roof on East Taffy was 11 when she pulled the club 26 reds and a bottle of wine Bobby had leukemia, 14 years old He looked like 55 when he died He was a friend of mine Those are people who die, die Those are people who die, die Those
4: are people who die, die Those are people who die, die They're all my friends They can't die
3: Kirby pushed Tony from the boys club Roofed Tony, thought that his Age was just some goof But Herbie sure gave Tony some suspicion proof And Herbie said, Tony, can you fly? But Tony couldn't fly Tony died All the people who died, died All the people who died, died All the people
4: who died, died All the people who died, died all, died, died. Yes. all my
3: friends they oh, oh, died Frank got busted on a knock narco rap the rap by ratting on some bikers, he said, hey, I know it's dangerous, but it sure beats Rikers, but the next day, he got off by the very same bikers, those are people who die, die, those are people who die. 11 when she pulled a plug on 26 red and a bottle of wine. Bobby got leukemia, 14 years old, looked like 65. When he died, he was a friend of mine. All the people who died, died. 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 They were all my friends. And when they died. She and Georgie let the gimmicks go rotten. They got a hepatitis and up in Manhattan. Vietnam took a bullet in the head Bobby old would on him On the night that he was wet They were two more friends of mine I miss them, they died Both people who died A hotel room, Bobby hung himself from a cell in the tomb, Judy jumped in front of a subway train, and Eddie got to split in the jugular vein, Eddie, I miss you more than all the others, this song is for you, my brother, all the people
4: who died, die. all the people who die, die.
5: God sent so and little girl ain't correct. Some say the black of the belly, the sweet of the juice. I say the talk of the flesh and the deep of the roots. I give a holler to my sister's own welfare. Two pockets. kids, if don't nobody else care. And uh, I know they like to beat you down a lot. And when you come around the block, brothers clown a lot. Please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up Forgive but don't forget, girl, keep your head up And when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't believe em. And if you can't learn to love you, you should leave em. Cause sister, you don't need And I ain't trying to you up, I just call him how I see You know what makes me unhappy, that When brothers make names, and leave a young mother to be a unhappy And since we all came from a woman, got our name from a woman, and I came from Why we take from our women Why we rape our women Do we hate our women? I think it's time to kill for our women Time to heal our women Be real to our women And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies That will hate the ladies That make the babies And since a man can't make one He has no right to tell a woman When and where to create one So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, ladies But keep your head up like black was the thing to be and suddenly the kettle didn't seem so tough and boy we had it rough we always had enough i the been puffed about my curfew and broke the rules run with the local crew and had a smoker or two i realized mama really So family is gonna take the man in me to conquer this insanity no, no, no. It seems the rain will never let up I try to keep my head up And still keep them getting wet up You know it's funny when it rains and pours They got money for wars but can't be the poor Said it ain't no hope For the youth and the truth is It ain't no hope for the future And then they wonder why we crazy I blame my mother For turning my brother into a crack baby We ain't meant to survive cause it's a Feeling all alone, daddy's long gone, and he left you by your lonesome. Thanks the Lord for my kids, even if nobody else wants. Cause I think we can make it in fact for sure. And if you fall, stand tall and come back for more. Cause ain't nothing worse than when your son wants to know why his daddy don't love him no more. You can't complain, you will stealth this hell of a hand without a i
0: So thanks, Prince Buster. So we had Jim Carroll there with People Who Died and Tupac with Keep Your Head Up he died on the 13th of September 1996 and we followed that up with Al Capone by Prince Buster. Al Capone, another uh, boy from New York Um, but speaking more about Tupac there, Between him and Johnny Cash, they're the two heavyweights of today's episode. And in many ways, I don't need to talk about them because I'm pretty sure if you've come to the podcast, uh, you know about Tupac and Johnny Cash by now. More than 75 million records sold for uh, Tupac. And look, I know there was violence in his life, but... It's not for me to decide about anyone. And if we kind of go with the totality of people's lives, he said and stood for more positive than negative, says me, who has not listened to every bit of his back catalogue, and he's a perfect case in point of something that really irks me, which is posthumous releases. Uh, he has six albums that were released posthumously and only four prehumously, just like when he was alive um, so but he was a star when is uh, you know, when he was shot uh, unless of course you don't think he's dead and there's plenty of rabbit holes that go down on the internet on that but um Al Capone was the subject there of Prince Buster's song. So Prince Buster, uh, a really good musician in his own right, um, but a lot of his work was covered, like his song Madness was covered by a band who then decided that was their name, Madness. And they were, they didn't found, but they were one of the main bands on the stable of Two-Tone, who we'll come come to later. Um, Prince Buster himself, he... We're going to be covering a few men now that were some of the pillars of rocksteady, reggae, dub, mainly reggae and rocksteady. And I, I don't have enough learning in secular. Sorry, not what's not secular. That would be oh, whatever the oh in father Dead. That would be a something matter, ecumenical matter. Um, so Campbell. Who's the, which is the real name of Prince um, Buster, was he joined the Nation of Islam after meeting Muhammad Ali. Uh, okay, well, not the next day, but as a result. Uh, so he was very, very political and politically um, engaged. So he wrote... Um, he did a version of White Man's Heaven as a black man's hell on his own label that he called Islam. So he didn't put a lot of effort into the naming of things. But Prince Buster would also, the the not the roots, the branches of his work led to two incredible acts which would be The Wailers and Toots and the Maytels. And one of the people who founded the Wailers, Peter Tosh. It's his death day on the 11th of September 1987. He did technically form the Wailers. He formed it with um, Bunny Whaler and Bob Marley, the three of them. Obviously, Bunny is the surname or his surname was what gave the, the band the name. But Peter Tosh was the only one who could play any instruments when the band started even Bunny Whaler himself said they all learned to play from Peter Tosh. Um, they, um, what do you call it, collaborated early with Lee Scratch Perry to create some of the uh, earliest well-known reggae songs to jump over to Toots and the Maytels. Their f- song, which was called, oh, I have that written down somewhere, um, "Do Do the Reggae, is where reggae got its name from, they spelled it R-E-G-G-A-Y I think so these two bands were so linked at the start and I note that in a a book that was released in 1981 about the rock albums of the 70s said a quick way to explain the Maytels is to say in reggae they're the Beatles to the Whalers, Rolling Stones but Toots Toots Huber, Hibbert, who died on the 11th of September 2020, who was the former, as a, so the, the guy who formed um, Toots and the Maytels, was described as the nearest thing to Otis Redding left on the planet. He transforms Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, Ti, Do into jo- joyful noise. So, um, Hibbert was a multi-instrumentalist. He played everything used in the band himself, but obviously, back then, the idea of multi-track recording would have been a lot lesser, so they would have had full bands. Jumping back to Peter Tosh, he wrote a lot of the the, the, the signature songs you can you, con- uh, oh, what you call it? Um, consider. Bob Marley and the Whaler songs, such as Get Up, Stand Up, 400 Years. He left the Wailers in 1974, after the manager, the the record label owner, Chris Blackwell of Ireland, um, seemed, uh, w- was certainly perceived by Peter Tosh to be pushing Bob Marley over the Whalers as a group. Wouldn't release one of his solo albums. So he left, ended up releasing music on the Rolling Stones label, which carries on that whole the Wailers were the Rolling Stones of reggae. Uh, he won A Grammy Award for the best reggae um, performance in 1987, which was his last uh, record. But a photograph of Peter Tosh in sunglasses, along with Bob Marley, was the inspiration of the logo of the two-tone record music label. So look there, everything's tied up. Um, So we're going to hear two songs, one by Peter Tosh and then one by Toots Hibbert. Or Toots and the Maytels. Before I do that, I just want to do a little section called Honourable Mentions. These are people of incredible depth that I'm going to sum up in a sentence. So Roger Hargreaves, 11th of September, 1988. He was the creator of the Mr. Man and Little Miss series. Little fact for you. Apparently the idea for the Mr. Man series came when Hargreaves' son asked him what a tickle looked like. So Hargreaves drew Hargreaves drew um, Mr. Tickle, and the whole thing came from there. Next, thirteenth of September, nineteen fifty-three, uh, was Mary Brewster Hazleton. She was a p- portrait painter, and she attended the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston first as a student and then became an instructor. And in eighteen ninety-six, she won the Hall. Sorry. Hall Garten Prize from the National Academy of Design and that made her the first woman to win an award that was open to both men and women in the United States in her field. I'm going to assume in her field, I've added that possibly at all, but let's go with, even in that field, fair play to her. Um, 7th of September 1981, uh, Christy Brown. Uh, an artist and writer, the um, subject of the Academy Award-winning film My Left Foot. Um, as I did a little bit of reading into him, I realise there's a lot more information has come out about towards the end of his life that I think maybe once I get time and patrons and time to work on it, I'd like to do a, a real talk on but if i look into it yourself if you're peaked but i feel i would be too clumsy to talk about it now but it, it it seems the film gave the kind of ending we'd want and wasn't exactly reflective of uh the the real last few years of his life um somebody who managed to live a lot longer to the age of 91 is uh, jean-luc Godard one of the most influential filmmakers of the 20th century. He only died last year on the 13th of September. Well, 2022, you might be listening to this in my archives in a few years time. And then 1951, 7th of September, Maria Montez. She was a Dominican woman and she was known as the Queen of Technicolor. Uh, The film Arabian Nights, released in 1942, was the first film that Universal Pictures used the three-strip Technicolor film process. Um, so, and from that came slightly more known films like um, Ali Baba, and I think there was a film called like Sahara. I think you're spotting a little uh, pattern with the traditional Dominican <laughs> um, hue. Being used to cover a lot of uh, Arabian um, and African uh, uh, people, so there we go. I could have worked in that sense a little bit, but sure. We look, we're all friends. Okay, I personally would have played to you a different Peter Tosh song, and I I'll be posting this in my socials, which is one I just particularly love. It's a version, and it's um, called. Um, pick myself up but the version I've had and listened to 83 times according to my um, iTunes library I can't work out where I got it because it's a solo electric guitar piece so then I was going to play you the original version and then I decided no I'll play this other song that I just particularly like called uh, I Am That I Am and we're going to follow that up with fifty four forty six. That's my number, which Toots wrote um, as a reference to what his prison number was. So, like, even though that broad thing of they were the Beatles of reggae, um, you know, he he wasn't sitting in a <laughs> a lovely um, ivory tower away from the travails of what living in Jamaica was like at the time. Okay, and we'll follow that up by playing one of the most sampled songs of all time.
6: Are you here to live up to mine? Yeah. I don't owe no one. No, I play-
0: Thanks, Bobby. That was uh, Bobby Bird with I Know You Got Soul. So that's one of the most um, sample songs in hip hop of all time. I really, What did I play earlier? Oh, I played the song that was sampled by Mr. Scruff called Bird's Lament and even uh, 5446, that's my number, has been sampled many times. But um, uh, I Know You Got Soul is one of the most f- sampled ones. There's a great website called whosampled.com if you want to look to cross reference any song but um so i know you got soul uh, get up i feel like being a sex machine two songs that uh, bobby bird wrote that were well, i'm going to use that sampled word again he was the founder of a band called the flames who were credited with discovering a singer who needed a band called james brown and they had a symbiotic relationship from there on uh, that definitely was not always uh, they didn't always work together I'll put it like that but he was a band leader a funk singer, soul singer himself he was like a I'm going to throw out the word midwife of getting rhythm and blues from the you know the the Rhythm of Blues, as it came out from blues and moved into funk, that was one of his real, um, his footprint was, well, not his footprint, his, both his funky feet and both his funky handprints. Um, great chap. Um, sorry I, I don't know anything about his personal life. So I'm going to strike that from the record, but I'm not trying to imply anything either. So he died when he was uh, 73 in 2007 on the 12th of September. But another place you would have heard, I know you got sold a lot, was Soccer AM uh, on Sky One uh, on Saturday mornings. Used that a lot for different um, highlight reels and stuff. I think they used it in the Techers one a lot. But anyway, so let's have a look at Sports Corner of Dead Cool. 10th of September, 1985, Jock Steen died. Um, Most connected with Celtic Football Club. He was the manager when they won the European Cup. And famously, they were the first team in Britain to win the European Cup. But the entire team were born within 30 miles of, well, Glasgow. I don't know if it was the exact stadium. Um, I know it's been Chinese whispered into everyone could see the stadium for where they were born and all this kind of stuff but look babies don't have that good of an eyesight there's no way they could see the stadium but he won many many medals and trophies and he's also considered one of the first what would be called tracksuit managers so like he was out on the pitch showing them ideas and tactics And apparently, he was one of the first people to introduce the practice of using the ball in training before it used to just be conditioning work for a lot of people. Um, But one thing that, you know the way sometimes you hear a fact, but you need more facts uh, to put the first fact into some sort of context. So Celtic Football Club were founded in 1887. And Jock Steen was the first Protestant manager they ever had, and that was in 1965. So that sounds like a huge win for sectarianism there, Uh, nearly 80 years before their first Protestant manager. But they only had three managers between 1887 and 1965. So uh, Willie Malley stayed there for 50 years. Then um, Jimmy McStay was there for five years, 1940 to 1945. Um, There was a lot going on then. So I think... That's why, in the opposite of nominative determinism, he left. And then Jimmy McGrory was manager for 20 years. So that was Jock Steen. Another manager closer to home is Noel Cantwell. Um, 2005, he passed away on the 8th of September. He's from Cork. He represented Ireland in both soccer and cricket. He was from Cork, as I said, the Guardian in his obituary said he was tall, handsome, well-built, ever-fluent and humorous. So they could have just said, from Cork, and everyone would know what they meant. He played for West Ham and Man United. Uh, he, After the Man United plane crash, he w- came to the fore as one of their leading players, but he left the year before the European Cup win. Um, so it was in a very emotional time. He was the captain of... Um, in the first final that Man United played after the Munich air disaster, like weeks after the plane crashed, he was the captain of that team. And um I, I don't have it saved, do I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, the Essex County team saw him make 47 runs against New Zealand in a cricket game and asked him to join that county as the cricket club and he turned him down saying he didn't want to spend the whole year in England fair play Noel and then finally uh, 1999 was the passing on the 9th of September of Catfish Hunter Um, now I couldn't find a real photo of him (laughs) Catfish joke, Um, he was considered baseball's first big money free agent when you hear the term free agency now and particularly in The football world, you know, uh, the Bosman ruling, but he would have been the precedent where he was able to run down his contract and get a large um, payment himself. Uh, He was the highest paid player in baseball and the highest paid pitcher in history when he signed the deal. Uh, He signed a five-year contract uh, with the New York Yankees. And the funny thing is, so he left the A's, which is the team he fought to leave and of the 24 teams in the division 23 of them offered him a contract including the A's it was the San Francisco Giants who decided to not offer him a contract and a little um, side note I suppose of note in 1987 he was inaugurated into the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame and the standard in it is when you are put in there your um statuette or whatever, you you have um the, the club or the team you played for is uh, kinda of logo on it. But because he was linked to two teams, the the A's or the Athletics or the Yankees, and he appreciated both teams and their owners who would have been more dynastical owning at the time rather than uh venture capitalists so he chose to have no logo on his cap which is an interesting little touch and i'm sure naomi klein was massively influenced okay we are going to have two songs and i'll talk to you after them take it away keith moon Prize, I did say we'd have two songs, but I want to give some context there. Um, so that was Keith Moon and The Who the with Bellboy with, from the Quadrophenia album. And that was, sorry, he passed away in 1978 on the 7th of September. And that song was picked specifically by... Um, old friend of mine, Jack Lyons, who was friends with Keith. And I won't be able to do it every time and I'll be able to do it rarely. But I like to reach out to people who can have more of a direct um, impact on the show. Uh, Keith Moon, legendary musician, person, appetite he, and I'm aware, particularly since he's a friend of a friend. Like I'm not trying to be lurid or any of that kind of things, but completely understand some people are going to think that's what I'm doing with this show. But judge me in my totality, as judge me the same way I judge Tupac. But uh, Keith Moon passed away in the same apartment that Mama Cass Elliot passed away. In from the Mar- M- Mamas and the Papas and he was renting that flat by Harry Nielsen which ties us to Derek Taylor who died on the 8th of September and I don't have the year um, oh, uh, wow well, this is embarrassing 1997 yeah I remember it was in my lifetime So he was one of the main fifth Beatles. A lot of people came to be the fifth Beatle, but um, George Harrison did refer to him as one of the fifth Beatles. Um, So Derek Taylor had a lot of different um, fingers in musical history. So he was a huge fan of Harry Nielsen before he made it famous at all. So when he brought out the Pandemonium Shadow Show album, uh, Taylor apparently bought 25 copies and gave them to each one to people he thought who had a bit of clout that could help him. And those included all four Beatles, who I think in terms of clout, they've got it. I don't know why he bothered buying the other 21, but life progressed Nielsen became good friends with um, John Lennon, Ringo Starr in particular, and actually produced Harry Nielsen's A Little Touch of Schmielsen in the Night, so there's a thing. But he also helped organise and publicise the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, which was the first uh, major American appearance by Hendrix, Ravi Shankar, Janis Joplin uh Otis Redding playing to a massive audience and The Who bringing us back to Keith Moon and also apparently Beautiful Child uh, the Fleetwood Mac song written by Stevie Nicks was apparently written about Derek Taylor so how about that now I told you last week I'm going to start a standalone sort of deep dive uh, Dead Cool podcast which I'm going to start next week And it's going to be about a certain E. Windsor, whose anniversary is today. What's that? No, not Elizabeth Windsor. Uh, A woman called Edith Windsor, uh, who passed away on the 12th of September 2017. I don't want to gloss over her. Um, I want to really do her justice justice. Um, So I'll be... Back to you about that next week, but feel free to just do your own research. This is a group thing, but unlike that link I just did, did, which wasn't very smooth, we're going to finish with two songs. We're going to fi- next up. We're going to have a woman called Dorothy Dandridge with a song called Smooth Operator, which isn't the song Saturday worked off, even though. They both sing the word smooth operator a lot. She, Dorothy Dandridge, was the first African-American to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress in a film called Carmen Jones. She was in the film version of Porgy and Bess, 1959 uh, starring role. She was the first black performer to open the Empire Room at the Waldorf Astoria. So, f- because because that didn't fail, Count Basie had his. That was the door was open for him because of that, and also in 1957, Dandridge sued uh, a magazine called Confidential for libel because they were making up salacious details based on paparazzi photographs and she uh, sued them and won but isn't it great 73 years later because the event happened in 1950 that that isn't happening anymore where stuff is made up based on photographs with no context and then we're going to finish with a song by Warren Zevon who died on the 7th of December, 2003. And obviously best known for Werewolves of London and maybe Roland, uh, a headless gunner. But I'm going to play to you a song called Keep Me In Your Heart. And I'm going to dedicate this myself to a chap called Paddy McNichol, who introduced me to the documentary The Wind, which was made about Warren Zevon, which was following him recording his last album when he knew he was incredibly sick. Uh, Don't want to give away the ending, but I think you can work it out because of what this podcast is about. But it is one of the most moving things I've ever seen, particularly about music and mortality and what are we celebrating what are we living for and uh paddy was a a friend of mine and he passed away not long after showing me that film and i he ran a fantastic music venue called Connolly's of lep which is continuing to be run by his family uh i personally recorded a album there I learnt a lot from him in various hats. I used to work in media, and he and I put on events, and I, you know, so I do miss him. Uh, he was a great chap with a good wit <laughs> and a sharp, sharp wit when it was needed. Um, but he showed me this, and it was brilliant. Um, so that's keep me in your heart by. Warren Yvonne. but first of all we have Dorothy with Smooth Operator then keep me in your heart I'll hopefully see you next week and enjoy every sandwich
7: You're a smooth operator You're a real cool sweet potato Kiss me baby don't you Make me wait Hug me honey don't you Hesitate Take my heart and don't you Give it back Cha 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 cha, cha. I like it like that You're a smooth Operator You're a real god what you're gonna do. You got me sighing and wishing for you, but I'm here to tell you one natural fact. I like it like that. You got me yearning, burning with desire. You set my heart and soul afire. You drive me wild shout, oh, mercy, Mr. Percy, now. Cut that out. You're a smooth operator. You're the end, but you're greater. Tease me, baby, cause I need a tease. Squeeze me, honey, I'm not hard to please. Give me love and don't hold back. I like it like that You got me flying high as I can be I don't know what you're doing to me You got me on cloud nine But I don't care I wonder what the folks are doing Way down there You're a smooth navigator You're a real cool calculator. Oh, love me, baby, till my toenails curl. I'm so glad just to be your girl. I'd be happy in a one-room flat. I like it
4: like that. I
7: like it, I like it, I like it, I like it, I like it. Oh, that's just the way I like it.
8: Shadows are falling and I'm running out of breath. Keep me in your heart for a while. If I leave you, it doesn't mean I love you any less Keep me in your heart for a while When you get up in the morning and you see that crazy sun Keep me in your heart for a while There's a train leaving nightly called when all is said and done Keep me in your heart for a while. Shine la 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 on Simple things around the house Maybe you'll think of me and smile You know I'm tied to you Like the buttons on your blouse Keep me in your heart for a while Hold me in your thoughts Take me to your dreams Touch me as I'm falling fire's lit and I will be right next to you Engine drivers headed north to Pleasant Stream. Keep me in your heart for a while These wheels keep turning but they're running out of steam Keep me in your heart for a while Child